Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with part two? Can a dub a nostalgic journey digging through decades of anime to uncover the good, bad, and weird of Canadian-produced dubbing? I'm your co-host Chris Lucy Antonio, and I'm your co-host Sylvie Kettles. And Sylvie, I want to take you back mm-hmm. to a time in your life. Okay, I've had a few of those. When you were an edgy teenager who thought you knew how the world worked. I was never. Lies, absolute <laughs> lies. Uh-huh, okay. Every every teenager goes through a moment where they think they got the whole world figured out and they're so above the prattlings on of adults, right? Yeah, they're they're big shot geniuses. We've, we've thought of every single contingency that normies wouldn't even consider. Yeah, yeah, and that's why and that's why certain forms of media really connected with what I'd like to call the hot topic crowd. Mm-hmm. I know them well. I, I mean, that just feels kind of mean as well, because hot topic is, is a force for good in our society. Yeah, I mean, it's it, for, for a very long time, it was the only notable, like, extremely public source of, like, alt fashions. What was the episode where we went into, like, a... Oh, it was on the Ruby Gloom episode. We went into Mm. some Hot Topic lore. Yeah. Well, we will touch on that again this week, because with the anime we are dealing with, and, well, it kept plenty of Hot Topic open for business for many years with its merchandising opportunities. Mm -hmm. Appealing to edgy, conflicted teenagers who just really wanted to lash out at the world in their angsty ways. As, as angsty teenagers are wont to do. Yeah, and so that's why I kind of want to begin here with the... Because we haven't really talked about this angle on one, on one of the Canada episodes. Maybe for Ranma we did. But the concept of aging poorly. Yeah, yeah, we definitely touched on it in Ranma. Or something being of its time. Because... I mean, it's a hot-button issue to begin with, and there are plenty of people who would say, like, well, you're supposed to embrace those conflictions of the time and dealing with it in hindsight. But I don't know. For something like this, which is 2006, or, like, mid-2000s as all get-out mm-hmm. from its look, tone, to its philosophy. Yeah, it's, um... I, I think it's not that this series has aged poorly. I think it's one of those, it was always very bad. We were just extremely stupid teenagers. We were the impressionable audience that it was looking for. The yeah. edgy teen contingent. Yeah, this this show needed teenagers who were angry at the world and thought that they could, that they had it all figured out because that is that is the only person who could possibly see themselves in this protagonist. Which is so weird, because even till this day, when anime, shonen anime, still has plenty of edgy TV series being produced in the cold light of 2023 to really placate that audience, that, um, like, the 14-year-olds of this year. Yeah, they have promised Neverland. There's that, absolutely. But, Death Note, the show we're talking about today... Uh still finds an audience with them yep it's still available on netflix it's still available on tubi there are soundcloud rappers writing songs called death note i forget who that artist is but there was a hit song like two years ago called death note that's bad there was but uh, the the singer was like 16 years old god when was that that um simpsons death note parody was really recent too well the simpsons has never been relevant since 1999 <laughs> Like, for God's sake, say, God, that's a whole other conversation, mm. but, um, 
Well, shall we get just get right into it? I suppose. There's a lot to unpack here. Buckle in, listener. Today's podcast, we are taking a look at a little shonen series that you may have heard of before. It may have been very instrumental in your coming of age in the mid two thousands. It's Death Note, all caps, please. Based Wait, on uh, you, you forgot, you forgot to um, put the T on its side. Wait, I don't know how to pronounce that. Okay, well, I I didn't hear it. It's just all I'm saying. It's Death Note. Is that better? <sighs> Uh, sure. We'll, we'll keep going. Keep going. Based on the manga by Sugami Oba and Takeshi Obata, serialized in Weekly Shonen Jump, of course, between 2003 and 2006. The anime series was produced by the gods Madhouse and directed by Tetsuro Araki, his most notable major credit until he would later helm equally poorly aged series for angsty teenagers, aka High School of the Dead and Attack on Titan. Okay, I have thoughts, though. High School of the Dead, yes, age poorly. I am so much more willing to accept an argument for camp for that show than I am for Death Note. We'll get into that, <laughs> but um, listen, the people who were watching High School of the Dead at the time weren't looking for camp. I was. How did you see the camp through all of the jiggling? Anyway, series was broadcast on Nippon Television between 2006 and 2007, lasting 37 episodes and cementing the global phenomenon that was Death Note for a decade to come, culminating, of course, in the high watermark of this franchise, the Netflix live-action film in 2017 directed by your next director, Adam Wingard. Yep. That was the apotheosis of the Death Note franchise. <laughs> we can all agree. Can we? I don't know, I put it into a recording, so it has okay, to be true. Okay, well then, yeah, I guess you're right. But, but, fuck all that. Yep. All that noise. I we're mean, not talking I mean, about we're that. gonna have to come back to some elements of that, but... We're not talking about that, explicitly. Yet. We are, instead, talking about the dub of Death Note, which was produced by who else but our friends at Ocean Productions. Hey, it's those guys again. Yeah, we can't escape them. They Literally are the Nelvana of anime dubbing. They're, I mean, they're they're basically the only major company that was doing dubbing in Canada. Or con and good for them. Consistently. Yes, Ocean Productions, as contracted by Viz Media. Uh, that This dub was voice directed by Carl Willems, who has also directed a ton of other dubs for Ocean, including Inuasha and Dragon Ball Z. Thank you very much. Mm hmm mm -hmm. And Death Note, the, this dub, was translated and adapted by Stephen Headley and Michelle Clough. Canadians got their first taste of the apple that is Death Note in 2007, when the dub premiered on YTV as part of their Bionics block. It sure did. I believe we mentioned the Bionics block somewhere else in another Canada episode. Yeah, we definitely talked about it. That was how Canadian children got their anime. It's how they got corrupted by the Japanese influence. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how it happened for me. Yep. It's... And look where we are now. Yeah. Ruined. Yeah. Destroyed. We are recording our thoughts on Death Note in 2023. I Clearly, mean, we're not well people. I mean, you and I did, before we started recording, we did agree that it was not Death Note that fucked us up. It was just the internet. Yeah. But Death Note is, like, it's, synonymous it's with that, the internet. Yeah. Because yeah. if you did not have the internet... Death Note would not have spread like the plague that it was. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten um, those peak, like, because Death Note and Twilight were popular at the same time, so I wouldn't have... For very similar reasons. Yeah, so I wouldn't have gotten those fucking memes of, like, Edward Cullen showing up and saying, I'm Edward Cullen, and then uh, Light being like, how do you spell that? Oh my god, you say that and I can picture the meme format with the impact font <laughs> and the two pictures. Like, ooh. Yeah. Like, the edgy... Man, we, some people have nostalgia for that era of the internet. Uh, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. 
in, in the quiet, dark hours of the night when I hate myself. Man, Twilight and Death Note hitting at the same time. We were in a very gothic era. Yeah, but like a sanitized goth. Like it was safe. Yes, and for the podcast today, we followed in the footsteps of our Dragon Ball Z episode and picked the meme one. The one that contains the sequence that has had people attempting to convincingly reclaim the series as camp. They literally uh, had and to. We'll, and yes, we literally had to, and we'll get into what we're talking about a little bit later, but we are discussing episode 8, Glare. Original English air date, December 9th. 2007, which I'm not sure whether that was uh, the American release on Adult Swim or the Canadian release on YTV. Doesn't really matter. Nobody cares about those statistics except for us. Sylvie, what is your history with Death Note? Oh, I watched all of it several times on the the Bionics uh, block. I uh-huh. watched it like in like scattered pieces, and then I probably at one point had one of my dedicated I'm gonna sit down and uh and watch the whole thing start to finish I own the uh I own the entire series on box set I have two of the omnibus manga yeah I was I was very tragically exactly who this show is for well yeah I was gonna say any any other things you want to admit to (laughs) do you do you want to like admit to the your Ryuk tattoo on your back uh I am the Zodiac Killer, is the thing. That's that's technically, literally impossible. God, I think at one point, yes, I, I did, at Anime North, in like 2012, purchase a, a, a Death Note notebook. <laughs> yeah. I was that bitch. I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing at the relatability. Yeah. Because that's not cringe, cringe is dead. That's something that you just did in 2000 and late. That was just part of being an angsty teenager who was into anime at that exact time. Gotta do it. You have to. Gotta do it. Uh, Despite, and for my personal history, despite my usual angsty exterior, uh, Death Note wasn't my series. God, you're so lucky. Uh, But don't don't, don't get me wrong. I eventually ha- did end up watching the entirety of Death Note years later on Netflix in like 2014, well past the age that it would even it even should matter to me. Yeah. So I, I think mine, like my history with the show, is leaps and bounds more pathetic than yours. <laughs> I chose to watch this. You didn't have a cho- choice. Yeah. the The other thing was that when uh, when you're an angsty teenage girl. Uh, there's also a lot of, like, internalized misogyny going on. So I was doomed to like Death Note. Uh, especially in anime spaces. Yeah. Very much so. God. Uh, so, yes. Even though you might hear us really gunning for this series as we talk more and more about it and about its dubbing and the differences here and there, what have you, uh, rest assured, we somewhat know what we're talking about yeah. it's coming from a place of deep self-resentment yeah there there was a time where this show was something important to me and i hate God, that and, wait is mine even more pathetic hold on was this one of the series i watched because a girl told me to oh it might be Ooh. it might be one of those ouch <laughs> Oh, no regrets. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you just want to share something with someone you care about. Yeah. I don't think that went anywhere. I, clearly it did not. Ah, <laughs> uh, Death Note. Death Note, Death Note. Um, I do remember, though, at the time, like, when I was... When I was going to school in the late 2000s, like, this had a stranglehold on the kids in my class. Yeah, absolutely. Or, like, or at least the kids who would willingly admit to liking anime. Yeah. I, I definitely had uh, a few, there were a couple crazy, a uh, bunch of the theater kids at my high school. No. Really liked Death Note. Hmm. 
that's that's only more uh, evidence given to Death Note's reclaiming <laughs> as a camp object. Yeah, no, honestly. That's, that's why I think people are trying to reclaim it as camp is because they are all theater kids. So they're like, no, 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 no. this can't be a hundred percent bad. This thing that was important to me. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm skeptical. Yeah, when I like it, it's camp. When I don't like it, it's trash. Exactly. That's how that works. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we even, like, get into what Death Note is? I mean, there's gotta be somebody who's never seen it. Okay, so, sure. Uh, Let's ruin it for them. Sure, the TLDR on Death Note, uh, it follows Light Yagami, a high school-age genius with a megalomania and delusions of grandeur complex who is gifted the power of a god by a demon named Ryuk. Uh, using he's the a demon. He's a Shinigami, which is a god. He's a demon. It just reminded me of, like, the uh, issue of, like, limitations in language and, like, specifically how, like, Shinigami gets used a lot in different series because it's just a common uh, idea. And even in, like, Bleach, that's what the... Uh, they're they're called soul reapers in english and even like the magaka was like that's closer that's closer to what i meant yeah when we're dealing with um mythical concepts from like japanese shintoism and their spiritual beliefs and trying to translate it into both a manga setting as well as a translation setting uh shinigami yes ryuka is a shinigami but also demon also god also just a guy Apple lover. Yeah. Also, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> God, the fucking symbolism in this show is so heavy-handed. You don't say, but... I mean, same as, same as Twilight. Yeah. Using the mystical object known as the Death Note, he has been granted control over who lives and dies through the simple act of writing their name in the pages of a notebook and picturing their face. Originally planning to rid the world of all evil under his high schooler understanding of justice and morality, mm-hmm. he's drawn into a cat-and-mouse game with other boy genius L, who is a mysterious, world-renowned detective working for Interpol, Interpol hell-bent on tracking down Kira, Light's serial killer identity. And when you, when you put it all out there like that, this shit is very silly. It's extremely silly, and that's like, I rewatching this, I had to view it as a comedy, because anything else would have been exhausting. Yeah, but it's, like, it's so inactive for a comedy. Yeah, the only, uh, like, truly comedic characters are Ryuk and Watari, uh, L's sort of, like, butler guy who just... Ha- serves ser- him sweets. Serves him sweets. Because that's a character. Yeah. <sighs> okay, um... Yeah, so with Death Note and this whole idea of a high schooler giving the con- be- being given the power to uh, decide people's lives, um, you can understand where this where, where the series maybe like analysis over society's sense of justice, morality, um, ethics is coming from, but because it's strained through a high school protagonist to appeal to other high school aged, like the main readership of this yeah. manga at the time. And as well, and, and just coupled with, uh, is it Oba or Obata who is the writer of the series? Oba is the writer. Obata is the artist. And coupled with Oba's very rudimentary understanding of, the, those very concepts, like those social concepts of justice, morality, uh, ethics, and his incuriosity to explore them beyond an edgy teen kind of analog for them. I mean, that's fairly consistent in all of Oba's writing. He is a deeply incurious person. Yeah, because of that, this show is so poorly aged like yeah. nowadays you, you're looking at the character of light yagami in the Kolei of 2023 and you're just thinking like oh this is one of those turning point usa chuds who think that the homeless should be gassed exactly like the the opportunity to have actual conversations because like his lights original like his his 
starting point for I will rid the world of evil is to get rid of, like, rapists and murderers. Like, he, from that starting point, there's an, in, there's, so, there's a lot of interesting places you could go with that, where then you could start considering, well, what makes a criminal evil? But no, fuck that, he's just also going to murder, like, burglars and petty thieves and presumably a bunch of, like, drug addicts. And white-collar criminals. Yeah. Like, anybody who can get, like, who can scratch that itch. Yeah, whereas it has, I have seen several posts, like, kind of looking back on Death Note and being like, wait, wait, why isn't, like, killing billionaires? Because he's not, okay, and here's the other thing. It's a fucking so, libertarian. That, that absolutely. But, like, like Yagami is absolutely not a good person no. in the language of the manga. Like, he is a he is a flawed anti-hero who is morally in the wrong through the entire run of the series, but also because of the manner in which he's written as this supreme intellect the, among, like, and and even, like, going further, like, in the Elliot Rogers sense, the supreme gentleman. Mm -hmm. You are just slightly supposed to admire him and his mission. Yeah, he he absolutely uh, gets the Patrick Bateman treatment. Right. You. It's not hard to look through an anime forum even today and find a light Yagami did nothing wrong uh, forum post argument mm -hmm. that has been locked by moderators after four thousand posts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just in the cold light of twenty twenty three, rewatching this for the first time since that girl told me to in twenty thirteen. Um. This does not hold up. Not at all. I kind of hate everybody in this show. Yeah, it's all just so contrived as well. Like I don't even I don't even enjoy any of the characters that I remember enjoying. Like even something somewhat as completely removed and goofy as Ryuk who like should just be enjoyable. I'm I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I did crack a smile during this episode when when Light gets home and says, like, hey, Light, how's it going? Want to play some video games? I, like, that kind of worked on me. That made me smile a little bit. But then, yeah. Like, it doesn't help that this episode is very boring. It is. I mean, this is, like, at a point in the story, this is kind of like where the L and, and his crew just start, begin to circle Light. Like, he, he, yeah. he's starting to be backed into a corner at this point. It's a transitional episode to, like, the next arc. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, to get into that a little bit in this episode, Glare, uh, what happens in a, the the, invest, the investigation headed by L is closing in around Light after he did away with FBI, FBI investigator Penber. And, and his fiancé. And his fiancé. And L has convinced the patriarch of the Agami family, uh, Soichi Hiro, to put surveillance cameras around the Agami household in order to catch light slipping up and being Kira. God, that's just that that scene was one of the highlights. Like, God, Oba, Oba is just disgusting. I I truly revile this man and his writing. Like the fact that uh, Soichiro goes out of his way to be like. I don't care if you put cameras in the bathrooms. Like The fact that that's underlined. Like, yeah. they said, like, even in the bathroom, like, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the other investigators are like, uh, you have a wife and daughter? And he's like, anything, like, nothing's more important than this investigation. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, and the way they somewhat justify it, in that, like, it's the right call, is that he's right, Ella's right, yeah, he's right. Um, light that, like, is suspicious. Is, is, he is Kira. But the thing is, God, and that's just all of this. My problems with the writing of this show is that, like, Light isn't suspicious. Is the thing like this? This the series only gets to progress because L is a crazy person. Yeah, it's it's so contrived. He just has a he just has some superpower uh, level of deduction that can suss out everything that Light Yagami does yeah. as somehow feeding into the Kira identity. Yeah, like, 
in this in this episode too, he even has like a thing of he's he's too this family is too innocent. They're just there's nothing suspicious and that in and of itself is suspicious. Yeah, and I imagine if you're reading the manga at the time you're like, "Oh, where will this go? Well, guess what? It's going to lead to like 40 more chapters of L just going like, hmm. Like maybe. Yeah. With his fucking squat. Oh my god. <laughs> I hate this character. Uh, do you remember did you see the uh live action film like the no. the, the American live action film? No. I I very pointedly ignore any live action adaptations of anime or manga. No, smart. Um but L is played by Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> okay. And he, yes, he does do the seating thing. I mean, you, he, he, he does. You have to. That's he, he does do the little gremlin perch. But instead of L's, I don't know what you would call his fashion sense and hair. Uh, whatever it's, that it's is, it is boy. neat. He's got scene boy hair. He's got scene boy energy. Yes. Uh, Lakeith just wears like hoodie and mask and it's really funny it doesn't work at all and that's kind of why it works good good for him yeah so this episode it's just it's just all based around this one dramatic point of how is light going to be able to continue the kira persona without arising suspicion under the watchful eye of l and his father with the was what what does uh ryuk say it's like 64 cameras yeah. in his room alone just in the one bedroom that's too many cameras that was a that was a number that oba just wrote down it's like yeah that makes sense right i'm not gonna do any research into that it, it absolutely looks like he just took like a top-down uh view of the kind of bedroom layout and just plunked cameras wherever there was space not really considering a camera's range like mm -hmm. there are absolutely absolutely unnecessary cameras because he's got like four along the exact same wall facing the exact same direction like that's not getting you any different angle you are not getting new information from these three superfluous cameras and again just the way that this show, in order to, in order to support the claim that both Light and L are just like genius level intellect, that like that no adult could ever match. Mm -hmm. Somehow Light is able to pull this scheme off perfectly without one of the sixty-four cameras picking up anything. Yeah. Like how does it how does it work out? Well, he's he's smart. He's a genius. It it just does. Like the the whole um, camera in a potato chip bag. System. Television. Yeah, the yeah the television in a chip bag, and also like a slip of the Death Note and a pencil in the chip bag. That only works because all of these cameras are placed like stupid people. None of them are at an angle where they would see into the chip bag, despite there being sixty-four fucking cameras. Sixty-four cameras, which Ryuk did not tell Light in this episode where they are. No, he just says they're there. Yeah, he's just going off of his genius boy sense. He's like, no, I'm sure I'm fine. Yeah. I'm a genius. It'll work out. I'm, I am a big smart brain boy. This this series is peak, like, smart people as written by dumb people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Th this is, like we were saying before we got into it, it's like, the the kind of teenager who thinks he's got the entire world figured out before the gut punch that is reality that comes when they like you know enter the real world at nineteen yeah or in his case dies or, or in his case dies spoiler alert for a death note my god light gets fucking shot <laughs> couldn't have happened to a nicer guy <laughs> where's your hero now incels. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. They'll just switch to Patrick. Oh. He's... Hmm. There's gotta be another Or what about Tyler? Oh, no, not him. There's gotta be another angst. Joker. That, that's it. That's the one. Kids love Joker. I'm sorry, Ryuk is right here. He is Joker-coded, isn't he? He is, yeah. Very Joker-coded. Um, before we get into the meat... Before we get into the meat of this episode, which is the dub work, let's just really briefly talk about direction of death note 
It's the best thing about Death Note. It is the only good thing about Death Note. Uh, despite the many failings of the writing, plot work, narrative, this is a slickly directed and clean-looking anime that is... It was destined to become a hit no matter what. Yeah, I mean, Mad- Madhouse is kind of bangers only. Or they were. They, um... They, they definitely hit a, a rough patch circa, like, 2009 that they never really recovered from. But for a while, they, they were on a hell of a run. And credit to uh, Araki here. Um, his, his style of direction is, like, it fits perfectly for the mundanity of Death Note. But it, and, like, his ability to liven up it in the best way he can. Yeah, because, I mean, narrative-wise, this is a very, or, like... Style-wise, this is a very boring-looking story because ninety percent of it is just light or L monologuing. Yeah, so like that is the majority of this episode specifically. Yeah, like that is a difficult thing to make visually interesting, and they pull it off. When we think about the scene that this this episode is most famous for, <laughs> which I, this would be the time to get into that, I guess. Like sure. the amount the amount of work he does to be extra over it. Yeah. To make, to make the most mundane action feel operatic, villainous, um, so, like, so perfect to his character, to Light's character. Yeah, Light, ooh, ooh, you know what? Light has big Phantom of the Opera vibes. Absolutely. Yeah. Apologies, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> because, I mean, just in that it's peak melodrama and the idea of, like, your, your genius protagonist who, who doesn't think that he needs to grow. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. But, like, but... The, the, the melodrama of, specifically, oh, hey, this episode it contains the potato chip shot. In fact, oh, God, there's so many. The, the, less, uh, the less memorialized shot from this episode is how he opens the fucking bag. I mean, I just, I just always think of it as a whole sequence. Yeah. Like, from the point where he opens the bag and begins laughing, it's like, okay, Araki finally showed up. We are directing this episode. This scene was going to become, was going to live outside of Death Note on the internet forever. Yeah. I just, I want to know what the storyboarding looked like. Oh, it was the only time that the entire staff showed up. <laughs> uh, you, know what, you know what? We haven't done this in a while. Let's just play the clip. Ryuk's information and my preparations, I can continue to kill criminals whose names are broadcast on the news while masquerading as a typical high school student studying for his entrance exams. Just watch me, L. I'll solve equations with my right hand and write names with my left. I'll take a potato chip and eat it. Every element from the editing to the visual flourishes to the overdramatic operatic music scoring it all. The score, the voice performances, the angles. The fact that even just opening the chip bag takes three shots. Like three shots and then split screen shots as well. It's this... This is where people are coming from when they think, like, well, Death Note is high camp. Yeah. Have you seen the potato chip scene? <laughs> yeah, that is, it is just this, this scene, or, like, these genres of scenes, but I can't even think of anything else that's near as iconic as this. Yeah, I, I can't either, but, I like, hats off. This is iconic for a reason. It's great television. Yeah. It's... It's dramatic, it's impactful, it's it's everything that an anime should be in a moment like this. It's just a shame that it's in service of this. Yeah, but it flies in the face of Oba's original intention. Like, this is supposed to be, like, a very, like, hyper-cool moment. Yes. Like, y- this is the character... You look at Light yeah. and go, oh my god, he's so fucking brilliant. Like, what a devious mastermind. And when you watch the scene, it's like, look at this silly little kid. 
look at this idiot who thinks and like because the, this whole scene is he has to keep killing brand new criminals but because the ones that are announced on the evening news in order to not arouse suspicion yeah. to l but because he's just killing randos he kills like a petty burglar and a maybe as like suspected bank robber which just ends up that just plays into the fucking l going like no you don't understand kira would never this, this only just proves that that light is kira that in, in any way is this not a um controversial statement uh that doesn't make any fucking sense no like l none is just of... as stupid as light like i don't know how this this entire series is built off of the uh, like cerebral intricacies of this police investigation when none of it makes any logical sense and it's all going off of the humdrum mumblings of this little gremlin man named L. Yeah, I am I am reminded um, of a different Madhouse drama with a cat and mouse between like a, an intense obsessed investigator and our protagonist and that's Monster. Which is leaps and bounds better. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the, the detective in Monster is wrong. But it's his whole character is that he's obsessed with this idea. And so, like, that kind of level of, like, no, 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 you don't understand, this is my killer, makes sense in a story where the detective is wrong. It doesn't yeah, make no... sense for, for L to be right here. No, there's no complexities to either L or Light beyond, like, their functions as characters. Yeah. Like, the, this potato chip scene is the most character we get out of like, Light. And it's just because he's a fucking loser who thinks he's a god. Yeah, like, I don't know how you come out of the scene thinking that he's like, wow, what, like, again, what a devious mastermind. Like, no, you look like an idiot. You look like an overly dramatic idiot who thinks the world of himself so 17 year old there you go there you go we cracked it we did it it's actually genius well done <laughs> oba we apologize for the slander i don't fuck that guy there we go uh this would be the perfect time because we're talking about say a performance here we are. to transition into the dubbing work let's do that so yeah, we got like, a couple of principal characters in this episode, not the full cast, but uh, the major ones, I would say. Yeah. So we got like take a, I'll take a potato chip and eat it is a highlight in Brad's whale's career. Yep, uh, signing many T-shirts with that phrase on them, I'm sure at anime conventions. Guarantee it. Yeah. So Brad Brad's whale is uh, we've he's a returning friend of the show. We uh, specifically of Canada. We also uh, saw him as Rock in Black Lagoon. That's true. Um, I I like his performance as Light. I think he adds much more character to Light than the character itself <laughs> is like even worth. Yeah, because he, he sounds he's very good at sounding like giddy as he's monologuing. Like he he highlights that Light is a self obsessed like. He does a very good job of making Light's monologues sound even more masturbatory than they are. Yes, there's like subtle hints of menace and pleasure to every little thing that Light says in this dub. And I think that's all credit to Brad Swale and the voice director here. Yeah. Uh, and e even in like the more subtle touches of the difference between Light monologuing to himself or talking to Ryuk and him talking, say, to the surveillance cameras or to his family. Mm -hmm. Like, there, there is, like, nice intonations between them, which really adds some depth to his character and, like, the mask that he's putting on. Yeah, he Swale does a really good job of creating this sort of persona for Light, where he is just the most mundane, clever teenager. Right, it's, it, like I said, it's adding depth where the source material gives you nothing. Yeah, because, like, Light doesn't really do anything different as a character with, with his, uh, like, when he's with his family. He's just kind of a, such a neutral, nothing character. I, I get the impression that yeah, he... he's a psychopath. He, he has no psychopath. emotions. Yeah, he, he has no emotions. He doesn't really particularly care about anyone or anything. Um, he despises his mom and sister because... 
Oba hates women. So all of his characters have to as well. I mean, all women are just obstacles in the fiction of Oba. Yeah. Obstacles or annoyances. I mean, same thing, really. Yeah. Or uh, they are perfect, pure uh, prizes to be won. There you go. Uh, Miho in Bakuman. That's some good um, material to give to some well-adjusted 14-year-olds who (laughs) that in no way will warp their sense of how the world works and how to interact between the many genders. Yeah, uh, Misa isn't in this episode, so... But yeah, people sure do hate Misa. I mean, I think we said it on another episode, but just to reiterate, you're wrong if you hate that character. Misa's lovely. Yes, you you were told to hate that character by a very insecure writer, and you ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh... Credit to Brad Swale for his performance specifically in the potato chip scene, but I watched the episode twice with dub and sub, and my god, the unhinged menace that Mamoru Miyano uh, gives to that scene, Mm -hmm. specifically in the laughing and the, um, and and just like the depths of depravity for his uh, monologue, sorry, Brad, he kind of has you beat there, but you deliver the line, I can take a potato chip and eat it much better than he does. So it's it kind of evens yeah, out. It's I mean, it's a hard scene to not have fun with. Exactly. And every, every each actor just has a different strength. They, they find a different emphasis on the scene. Like, this is the episode that you were waiting for when you were originally cast. It's like, oh, finally. I get to... I, get I can to do something. something. Fucking crazy. I mean, the the plague of this cast, and it's probably just because of the tone they were, they were going for, everyone is very monotone. Yes, extremely. Uh, I, I think that it feels like it's coming from a position of a lot, all of these actors are in anime dubbing, and for a lot of other anime, there's sort of um, an emphasis on heightened emotions and just over-the-top expressions and voices, and then to go for something that is supposed to be so naturalistic. I, I feel like a lot of the times they overcorrected. Yeah, and even so, like, they're going for something very... It feels like they're going for something serious, mm-hmm. which stands in contrast to Death Note, which is so unserious. <laughs> it's silly. But not even fun silly. Yeah, but you can embrace that silliness, like with the potato chip scene. That's why that's the most famous scene yeah. from the anime. <laughs> If everything had been recorded or treated like that, I think I would be a lot more kinder to this show. If Death Note was unapologetically extra. Yeah, i.e. can be. It, it kind of is. But it's not enough. But not enough. Um, moving on to our yin to Light Yagami's Yang. Uh, yeah, so returning... Because uh, I know we, we mentioned this last week with the Barbie movie, but... Uh, Playing L, we've got Alessandro uh, Giuliani, who was... Oh, that was completely accidental, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, Fun. He's voiced L in basically every single English uh, anything Death Note, like all the video games. Um, he's done the dub work for even the live-action Japanese movies, which not all of the uh, cast does. Like, I don't think Brad Swale played light in like the english version of the live action movies no i think you're right there oh wait no yes he did but not like he didn't do all of the what what would a death note video game even be uh text adventure oh okay i'm guessing i mean you can play i'm not gonna look you you can play as light in uh the weekly shonen jump fighting game but that's about as far as my death note adapted to video game knowledge goes. Gotcha. What do you think about uh, Giuliani's performance? I, see, this is interesting because it, it is the only other voice performance um, other than um, Shannon Chan Kent. Uh, her, her performance is Misa. The, these, the trio, the main trio, do really stick out. Like, I remember even the tone of his voice. Like, it sticks out. He's got an interesting, um, like, there's a sort of graveliness there's, there's a texture to his voice that's weird. There's a there's a graveliness coupled with a 
highly intentional flatness. Yes. I mean, especially in this case, uh, for that for that character, he's absolutely going for at- atonality the entire time. Which, which is absolutely the point, but I always felt, uh, looking at the character and reading a bit of the manga, that L would have a much more gremlin-y voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he should absolutely sound like Gollum. I'm laughing, but I'm serious. It should be a little bit more higher-pitched and, like, unhinged. Yeah. At least that's where I'm coming from. Like, all respect to Giuliani, uh, you do capture the intention of the manga with your performance. uh, Being so, like, flat and strained and... I I guess we would call it, like, burdened with the great knowledge (laughs) that L has. Yeah. But it... With the rest of... With the entire feel of the show it just comes across as mundane and boring yeah no fault to you You you're doing a great job yeah choices were made when that is the majority of the dialogue you hear in an episode is coming from l pondering over the kira case Mm -hmm. it's it's you know what it's great asthma to fall asleep to (laughs) i will also say uh and that just might be because this is one of the few times where that's um, like a physical thing, but he does pay attention to a lot of like the visual aspects, um, like what's going on with L on the screen, because L has this thing where like he pushes his thumb to his mouth, and he does in turn do that. Like his his vo- voice does actually change. Like so, consideration has been paid to the visual aspects, which is uh, an, like an interesting part of dubbing. Because mm-hmm. not not all uh, studios have either the attend like they don't either don't have the time to pay attention to things like that or they're just not paying attention to things like that. Yeah, and like to that point, when he's delivering a lot of his lines, like I don't know how to describe it, but it sounds like uh, Giuliani is literally hunched over in the voice booth. I would believe that. There is a weird strain on his voice that can only really come from, like, like leaning over and adjusting your spine in a weird just, way. Just having bad posture. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does come across in his performance. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, uh, and I, I just assumed, because of what I thought L would sound like in my own mind, when I checked the sub uh, performed by Cafe, uh, Cafe Yamaguchi, same kind of uh, monotonal intonation. Yeah, like, makes sense. They're doing the same thing. It's same bit. Yep. Uh, and then the final of like the major cast for this episode is Brian Drummond as Ryuk. Our our friend and yours, Brian Drummond. What a guy! What an employed guy. <laughs> right. I was just trying to pick out like, oh, okay, let's see. I know we've talked about him a lot. He's been in a lot of things that we've done, just trying to pick out, like, oh, it's a thing I can... No, I can't pick just one. He's insane. He's in everything. Man gets work while in Vancouver, yeah. and God bless him for it. He. This is another, like, he's just having a good time. This is one of the performances, like, um, like during the potato chip scene, where... They are, like, his entire performance as Ryuk is extracting the fun out of the, like, understanding the silliness of the text and leaning into it. I, like, it's like, Brian Drummond is the only one who gets to do that all of the time. Because Ryuk is the only character who doesn't have to be serious ever. Exactly. Like, he's, he is the comic relief to the dourness that is like Digami. Yeah, he's just this unhinged morally ambiguous demon who like he just wants to eat like soul like that is his end goal and in this episode it's he he gets to add another layer of silliness into the characterization by having Rhea go through apple withdrawals yeah because oh no there's cameras and so they'll see the floating apple and he all like light even says because he'd already sent like a taunting message to the the cops that uh, Shinigami really like apples, and so because of because of him thinking that he's too fucking smart, 
he's put himself into even more of a situation where, oh, if they see floating apples, they're going to assume death gods are real. No, I, I, with the logic of the show, L would absolutely put that together. Yeah, he would. He would see a floating apple and be like, oh, Shinigami. Uh, so he must have the death note. I see. And then it would just fix itself. And we can't have that. It's only episode 8 out of 37. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta go through the whole... Whole shebangle. We have to... God. And then... This show is a mess. And I know that... You don't say. There's, there's like, a whole argument. I know there was a time where people were like, Oh, the show gets bad when Elle dies. Because then they have to panic and find... Light a new adversary. So they just make a... a another L. I mean, don't get me wrong, that was bad. Yeah. But also... The show was already I mean, weak sauce. Like, the the layers of dimensions to their chess game. Yeah. Like, by that time when L dies, they were already on, like, 22, 24D chess. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so obnoxious I at that so point. I was so mad I couldn't find that Tumblr post of someone who just perfectly wrote out inner monologues for both Light and L, uh, because, spoilers, uh, for fandom, people just wanted Light and L to fuck. Um, so there was a post- That would never happen, though. No, it would never. But if it did, if, like, L was like, hey, uh, Light, would you like to have gay sex? And then just the inner monologues that both of them would have, all the fucking moves, they'd be like, if I agree, he's gonna think I'm Kira. But if I don't agree, he's gonna think I'm Kira. And the way they wrote it is perfectly identical to how all of the monologues are written. Yeah, because these characters are... You know what? Despite our many criticisms of it, they're easy to understand. Yeah. And that's because they're so surface level. Yeah, they, they do not have a lot going on behind those eyes. No, no, no. Their their entire their entire personalities are the function of that back and forth cat and mouse de- detective villain game. Yeah. There's no depth to anybody. No, like even all of like the side cops, they're boring. Yeah, they're just fixtures of L's character. Yeah, the rest of Light's family, boring. But that's because you know half of the family is women and. Yeah, well, real quick, uh, we're both agreeing that Brian Drummond, one of the best aspects of the show, he's giving it his all, he's wonderful. Uh, Just to round out this cast discussion, we're not going to go through all of the detectives in the room, but uh, for the main one, who gets a lot of play in this episode, uh, uh, Soichihiro Yagami. Yeah, uh, we got Christopher Button. Chris Britton. Sorry, I misread my own handwriting. (laughs) He is new to this show. Um, but he has been, he was actually in the 2017 Death Note, the, the Netflix Death Note show as, uh, Aaron Peltz. Got me. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. I have, I have no idea if that's, I I assume it's just like a random side character and that he was just, uh, brought on because he was part of such an iconic dub. Just sort of like he happened to be in the neighborhood. Well, the, the thing with Britain is that like, he's much more notable for his non-dubbing career. Yes, he... Uh, he is a, quote, serious actor. Yeah, quote. I mean, he's been in a bunch of actual films, including Goodwill Hunting, um, Silent Hill, and he's done a lot of television work, a bit of video game work. Uh, he was in Riverdale. Just figured that would be a nice... Who? Who is he in Riverdale? He's the judge. Okay, that could be anybody. Yeah. But since episodes. he's in Riverdale, uh, he's my favorite actor that we've ever covered on any of these voice acting segments. <laughs> yeah, I figured that would be, like, just a gift for you. Um, Thank you for your service, And sir. real quick, uh, which which show do you think he was on? Um, of the two... Uh, Murdoch. Da Vinci. Damn it! He was in eight episodes of it, too. Ooh, what a run. Yeah, he, like, actually had a run. But yeah, his his performance as, uh, as Suichiro, it's, it's fine. It's standard, like, cop dad. Yeah, you don't get into, uh, he doesn't get to do a lot in this episode. There are a couple of moments where, like, his acting chops really break for. It's like, when... When he's demanding that cameras be put in the bathrooms of his family's home. 
that yeah. that absolutely <laughs> but also when he's like disappointed in light for looking at pornography yeah <laughs> like <sighs> light i can't believe my my 17 year old son would do this like that that genuinely felt like he was coming from a real place <laughs> Yeah, like, like, I believe that performance, like, <laughs> that he was completely fooled by Light Yagami's scheme. It's like, man, he's just looking at titties. Like, Christopher Britton actually just walked into the studio after realizing that his own children... After catching his own teenage <laughs> son with some dirty mags. It's like, I don't worry, I can use it. Oh, just, just put it, just put it in. Oh, God. I failed as a father. No, that's what it feels like. Yeah. It's, it's genuinely a good performance in that moment. It's like, hmm... Which is so funny, too, because, like, I know because this is a show that had to air on, like, full television, you can't always have titties. But, like, Light is looking up some extremely softcore stuff. It's, a, like, a gravure um, magazine. It's literally just, like, bikinis. Yeah, like, I think that's because, like, that's what he could buy as a 17-year-old. I don't know what the pornography laws are anywhere uh in japan i'm not familiar with them yeah i know i know here in canada you have to be 18 obviously i had i had many many uh like 12 year old try to buy a a penthouse (laughs) man rounding back to our conversation about how the internet has changed things it's weird though like i mean you can still buy porn at like a circle k yeah they're there I say all power to you, like, good, I, you know what, you know what, controversial statement, I support print media in all its forms. <laughs> but yeah, like, we were, we were talking earlier about how the internet absolutely uh, ruined us, because specifically, like, the amount of free pornography of, that is just readily available, and then that's how kids end up stumbling upon the, like, kinkiest shit way too soon. It's where they get a lot of hang-ups about what sex is. Yeah. That take a lot of time to work out with uh, the unfortunate people in their lives that become their partners, girlfriends, boyfriends, what have you. Yeah. Yeah, the internet's fucked. Yeah, it was a bad idea. Yeah. Just just flat out bad idea. Yeah, we should just go back to... um... Mail order fan fiction. Yep, we should go back to print pornography and mail order fiction, like, and society will begin to heal. We just need to go back to like the uh, 70s, 60s, 70s housewives who would be writing like Kirk and Spock smut and then mailing it to their other Trekkie housewife friends. See, we're not only are we dismantling the rotten influence of the internet, but we're also supporting the postal service, exactly. which needs support. There you go. It's so many problems are getting solved if we just go back to analog pornography. <laughs> I don't know how this got into our death note discussion, but I'm glad it did. Our, this soapbox is important. Yeah, this is very important. Like, uh, AO3 is amazing. Their their filtration system, nah, delicious. But you know what? We'll just that sh- was not there for the longest time. Yeah. God, no, it was not. Anybody else notable in the cast that we can get into for the sake of this episode? Um, um, I did mention Shannon Chan Kent as Misa. I know she's not in this episode, but I think that her performance is important. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I didn't see much of it because I... Uh, apparently, I've watched all the show according to my Netflix data, but um, don't know when that was. Um it's always embarrassing when, like, when you go, for for example, for this show, I logged into my Netflix account, went to the Death Note, and said, like, resume episode. It's like, oh, oh man. no. <laughs> um, she's, she's also notable because she's the singing voice of fucking Pinkie Pie in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Uh, I'm just gonna say, like, same voice. It's basically the same voice. Yeah, very bubbly. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, the other two notable characters of this episode, um, Shuichi Aizawa and Toda Matsuda, the two detectives in the room with Light's, uh, with Light's father and L, performed by Trevor Duvall and Vincent Tong. They're doing fine. Yeah, uh, I 
I do like Mats- Matsuda's uh, performance uh, by Vincent Tong. He gets a lot more play later in the series. Yes, very much so. But uh, he's been around. He n- Nothing as big as this, I don't think, but a couple episodes of Slam Dunk, some Beyblade episodes. I mean, he was a major character in Beyblade Burst, but eh. Yeah, Matsuda, like, I think he's the only one of those cops who survives to the end. Yeah, like, he gets a significant kind of spotlight put on him because he's the last one left. Yeah, and then uh, Trevor Duvall, his performance is, again, it's fine. Yeah, I, I guess because they're all, like, adopting this flat affect to match the tone of the show, they're they're kind of, like, kneecapping their standout performance. Yeah. Like, or their ability for their performance to stand out, rather. Because, like, D- Duvall specifically, he is very good at he he's got um god what's the what's the word he he can do like a, a dj kind of voice like he's good at sounding extra mm, yes absolutely like some of his other roles he's he's done stuff he's done, he's done a lot of extra stuff in being ian just very wacky uh he he does a bunch of work in class of the titans He's, he's Hades in Class of the Titans, who I recall as having just this out there, absolutely out there performance. He is capable of wildly out there performances, and this show and role just isn't that. No, because the show has to be serious. Yeah, we're, we're, we're deeply serious. You're really stifling the like your voice actor's talent by saying, like, no, 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 bring it in. This is a, this is a serious show for intellectuals. Can you, like, decrease the emotion in that line, like, by 20%? Can you 25%. sound a little more like you don't care? Like, I'm not falling asleep. You're not doing the job, man. These are all direct quotes from voice director Carl Willems. These were all his directions to the cast. <laughs> Flatter. Smaller. Oh, shit. He's also, uh... He's, he's Rocket Raccoon for the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy TV series famously flat affected character yeah, rocket record that's that's the one you know the one goes like hey hey Groot. hi let's go hi, man. i am i am a, rock, a raccoon man no i'm you cannot pet me i am rocket raccoon <laughs> Shasha. hiss growl swipe <laughs> uh apologies to Trevor Duvall, your performance as Rocket Raccoon is probably great. I don't watch Marvel shit, so I'll never refuse. see it. Any, well, what's the summation on this dub? Good? Bad? What, what are we thinking? It's fine. Great. The, the dub is fine. <laughs> I fucking hate this show. I, I hate what it stands for as an adult. I hate its influence, even today. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that people hate Misa. Yeah. Yeah. Well... It's deeply unfortunate, but we are living in a post-death note world where its influence can be felt everywhere from, like, just any residual kind of ironic goth renaissance in some way or another can credit itself back to death note. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's kind of frustrating how big of an impact it had to a lot of, like, scene kids in trending a little uh, gothier. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you were saying, like, Hot Topic was filled with Death Note shit. Specifically Misa. And since, like, goth is her whole deal... Yep. Like, so you you could... you could There was a time where you could buy, like, basically all of the same necklaces and earrings that she had. Like, specifically, it's gothic Lolita style, yeah. but... Translated to uh, an American-Canadian audience that is just flat-out goth. I should you not... That's just Susie and the Banshees, baby. There you go. Uh, there is a trendy fashion boutique uh, on... I think it's on Queen Street, close to me, that has kind of like an ironic internet lol aesthetic to it. Uh-huh. Like, in, in the... Um, in the display for the front window, there is, like, a couple of clo- clothing items, and then the ground is just littered, like, the stand is littered with fake $100 bills, and it's usually playing, like, 100 gecks really loud out of the storefront. Okay. And their sign that says, like, come in, we're open, 
it's just a very nicely done drawing of Misa. <laughs> Good for her. It's like, oh, okay, I see. I see what I th- I see what we're going for here. Yeah, like there's there's a really famous uh, anime goth girl art piece from around the same era who looks a lot like Misa, and I genuinely don't know which came first. I just feel like we were reaching a point in uh, in Western media or Western and Eastern media where we just wanted a goth girl. Yeah. Oh, there she is. And my god, my god, did this show fill that need. There was just, you know, there was a void. And we, as we all know, goth girls love voids. That's that's where their heart is. Yep. <laughs> I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Canada. I suppose thank you. so. Yeah, thank you so much for enduring our thorough takedown of death note all you death note fans out there all two of you all two of you uh if you like what you heard please consider giving us a like share review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice preferably apple Podcasts, because that helps us reach the widest possible audience you can find the show on twitter at cartoon night pod where we post new episodes every saturday except when we don't except when we don't you can find myself on Twitter at Cinema Creep, where I will be breaking down the ethical hangups of Death Note for all of my lovely followers who want to hear me wax philosophically about the show I watched once because a girl told me to. And you can find me at Sylvie Skeletons, um, where I'll be uh, posting nostalgic art of uh, anime girlfriends that I used to look up on Photobucket. Perfect. Actually, I'm going to change my thing. I am going to begin adding Adam Wingard nonstop to make Death Note 2. Alright. He's, he's in the middle of making Godzilla vs. Kong 2, but you know what? The real money, the real money is in the Death Note franchise. Priorities. Listen, if Grimes is watching, we're all watching. That sounds like the end. Yep. Yep. <laughs>